Welcome to the Manuscript Academy podcast, brought to you by a writer and an agent who both believe that education is key. The beauty is the people you meet along the way, and that community makes all the difference. Here at the Manuscript Academy, you can learn the skills, make the connections, and have access to experts all from home. I'm Julie Kingsley. And I'm Jessica Sinsheimer. Put down your pens, pause your word counts, and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We had a wonderful event with producers Eric Melford and Keith Shaw, and we wanted to share with you the fun of the live pitching. Over the next hour, you'll hear us reading the pitches everyone shared in the text chat and learn about how a quick logline summary of your work, along with the great concept, of course, can open doors for you and your book-to-film dreams. We're having another free event, which is Thursday, December 2nd at 8 p.m. Eastern with producers Kim Williams, Edwin Stepp, and Jonathan Burkhart. It's all about how you can make small pivots now to increase the odds of seeing your book's name in lights. Check the show notes for the link. And if you'd like to meet one of our producers, directors, or showrunners to go over your concept and script pages, head to manuscriptacademy.com slash meet hyphen Hollywood hyphen producers. Enjoy! I'm so happy to see all of you. I'm Jessica Sinsheimer, literary agent with Context Literary Agency mm-hmm. and the co-founder of MSWL and its sister company, the Manuscript Academy. We exist to bring conference resources and connections to you wherever you may be. And we have such a special evening. I'm so excited. Hey, everybody. I'm Julie Kingsley, and I'm co-founder of the Manuscript Academy. And I've been teaching writing, specifically screenwriting, for the last five years, which makes me so thankful for tonight. So you guys, if you're not familiar with us, we do a lot of things at the Manuscript Academy. We're a podcast, an online conference, and a portal for connecting with professionals. And as always, we want to do more for all of you, which brings me to this exciting new adventure, the Film TV Academy. And we'd like to introduce our strategic partner for this great idea, Eric Mofford. Eric, tell us a little bit about yourself before we introduce our special guest. I learned from my podcast that I did with you guys that I'm not going to give you the full novel version of the bio that was the most of the podcast was the bio so basically about 150 different projects film television a lot of independent films some web stuff some good tv bad tv and (laughs) documentaries dramatic series as well as a lot of fictional film a couple of emmy nominations sadly no emmys like my buddy keith here i'm happy to be here and it's been a long journey of production and it's always changing so it's still interesting Thank you, Eric. And it is my great pleasure to introduce special guest Keith Shaw. Keith L. Shaw is currently the Director of Operations for Gigantic Studios. With over 27 years of experience as a director, producer, and assistant director in both the television and the future world, Keith has worked on projects for HBO, ABC, CBS, NBC, PBS, Comedy Central, YouTube Red, and Teen Nick, to name a few. Couldn't do it all in one <laughs> breath, I tried. Keith served as director on season three of Sport You Doc, Three Gun Nation, and director-producer on the highly regarded indie feature, Suicide Dolls. In 2006, Keith produced the feature film Privileged for Glasshouse Productions. After a season on Curb Your Enthusiasm, Keith was accepted to DGA's director's single camera program, and shortly after, directed on the PBS series Madison Heights. Keith has filmed on many other projects across the United States and internationally, including production supervisor on ABC's Oprah Winfrey Presents The Big Give, first assistant director on NBC's The Keenan Show, for the soon-to-be-released Amazon Prime series Jack Reacher, and field producer for five seasons of The Apprentice. Keith also serves as producer-director and co-partner for Last Man Out Productions, the 
company was recently nominated for an Emmy Award for the documentary, The Prohibition Chronicles Echoes of Point Place. Keith, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And actually now I'm Senior Vice President for uh, Gigantic Studios for Production. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Yes. So, and for all of you out there, we're going to do this in three separate parts. We're going to talk about what makes a good log line. We're going to do some activities around that. And then we're going to start some pitching and just see what happens. We've never done this before like this. It's very laid back and there's plenty of time for a little of everything. So let's get started. Eric and Keith, tell us what makes a great log line. It's short is first off, it shouldn't be your synopsis. It should be a short, maybe 25 words or less. And basically it needs to convey what the protagonist is facing. It shouldn't be your secondary characters. It shouldn't be B stories, C stories. It's really centered on the protagonists and why we're watching the film. Anything you want to add on that, Keith? The only thing, I look for something to catch my attention as far as any adjective that's going to really grasp what's happening in the movie for me. Yeah, I think the adjective is really key. If you say Keith goes to the market versus an adjective described, that's much better because nobody knows who Keith is in the story. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think you're right. And what tips do you have for fiction writers? I know we have a lot of fiction writers here. I think that there's so many stories that that writers are doing that are on television and in feature films a lot of them come from originally from the novels, fiction or for documentaries, nonfiction. And so you get a story that's out there that people are interested in reading. Already you're well ahead of the game as far as if it was a screenplay that's just totally a brand new idea, not based on something that's a book. You're having a bigger fight to get people to see it. And again, it's the logline. The logline is a short, concise description of the project. Very few producers in Hollywood these days will read anything beyond a log line. They'll read the log line. If that interests them, they'll read further. But if it's something that's been popular as a book or has a fan base as a book, even if it's social media and it has a basic, then that's already a step ahead. So any fiction writer, nonfiction writer that's got some published work, they're already on the right track, I think. I just wanted to uh, jump on what he was just saying. There's a romance novelist that I am in touch with that has uh, quite a big following. And she has five books out and now considering her work for a series. She's not a screenplay writer, right, Keith? Actually, she started as a screenplay writer and went to writing novels. She already has a script for the first book. So maybe we should talk about like writing on spec being in the guild. So as a writer, you would have someone else to write your work off in. So tell us how that works. I don't even think I have a true understanding of it. You don't have to be in the guild to write. It's the old catch-22, right? You can't get into the guild until you have something sold and you can't sell anything if you're not in the guild is what people feel. But if you have a good manager or somebody that's a connection that wants to read your piece, it's not a situation where they won't read it if you're not in the writer's guild. Now, most television you have to be a Writers Guild member. Now, there's differences between television and film in that in television, you can't just write at home usually either. There's usually a writer's room of a bunch of people working together. Yeah, that's just great. So I want to go back to one more thing before we move on to our activity. When you guys talk about the right words, the right catch, the right, I think that's really easy to say what's right or what's provocative or what's interesting. How do writers get to that perfect log line. Keith, you got any thoughts? I'm just thinking you're just talking about writer's room. Usually that's 
when you're just spitballing around in the writer's room coming up with different ideas? Is there a perfect log line? You can always come up with a different approach to a log line. So to me, I always tell people, don't kill yourself trying to make it perfect. Just tell the story in Eric said, 25 words or less. And you should have the protagonist. It should be some kind of like Keith was talking about as far as the action that's going to happen in the script. You know, what the goal of the protagonist is, who the bad guy is, the antagonist. I probably should be mentioned there. What the setting is, so we can right away know. If I'm not interested in sci-fi and your script says takes place in another galaxy, right away, that saves us both times because I don't have to read the script because I'm not interested just using this as an example, because I'm actually am interested in sci-fi, but I don't have to read the script if it's not something I'm interested in because I can see that all in the log line. And so I would say those are elements you'd probably want to add and put into within those 25 words. You could write a lot of log lines for your same project and you should do that and see which one resonates with friends and people that says, wow, that's the one I want to read. That would be my first step. And it's always 25 words or fewer? I don't think, as Keith said, I don't think there's a rule. I think it's really about that you, if as concise as possible, because it's like TV guides. I'm going to read TV guides. Remember, you used to read the little, I'm going way back now, where you go read the little thing and it goes, oh, I want to see that. Those were log lines. It's like uh, Sarah gave an example about me. She put, so reporter by day and superhero by night, Keith runs to the market on a secret mission. Mm. To me, that's a pretty cool log line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My attention. So to me, that's a good example of a quick and to the point log line. Yeah, keep it short. I said this on the podcast, but and a favorite log line, but I'm, I'm going to throw another one at you. All right. I wrote this one down after our thing. I said, a spirited farm boy joins a rebellion to save a princess from a sinister imperial enforcer and the galaxy from a planet destroying weapon. Star Wars. So, that, so that's got the protagonist, which is the, the spirit of Farm Boy. It's got the action. He's joining the rebellion. And he, what's his goal? He's going to save the princess from Darth Vader, or, or in this case, they don't say his name. They just say a sinister imperial enforcer. And then the setting is the galaxy. Okay, that's going to scare me if I'm not into sci-fi. I think it's so interesting how this is so different from the way writers are taught to pitch quickly. It's usually character wants to goal, but can't because of conflict. So they do X, which results in Y. That's like the rule I've heard on the book side. But I like how it's so narrative and free flowing. It just has to give you an image on the film side. Yeah, it's a visual medium. I do think that You've got to have active. I don't think, you know, books can go with a passive story. That's just like where it's everything is in the person's head. Oh, my gosh, that's such a boring movie. If that was like everything that the guy's thinking, if they've tried it a couple of times, but I don't think it's very successful. It doesn't have to be an action movie, but it's got to be an active setting. Yeah, that's something that I've started telling my writers is if someone was hovering above your protagonist watching them, would they just be sitting there thinking, are they out doing stuff? I think that's something that's helpful for, for readers as well, is if the setting changes and your character isn't just visually sitting there in a chair for 300 pages. So Eric, give, give us a couple more. Okay, here's one. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community, a local sheriff or marine biologist and an old seafarer must hunt the beast down before it kills again. 
Everyone's going to get this. Everyone better get that one. There you go. Right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. It's It basically says in a few lines, and it's, wow, that sounds good. And I think that when you ask that question about the writers who are writing fiction and writing books and, and going to films, they've got to be thinking about their log lines very early if they want to think about it being for film. And I don't necessarily mean that should dictate their writing, but it probably should play a big part of it. You know, mm-hmm. if that's where they want to go. I have Marilyn Alice's favorite one. Um, All right, let's hear it. Okay, it's inappropriate. It is. Put in your headphones. If okay. You <laughs> Two 30-something lawyers crash weddings. I'll just say to get chicks. And then instead find love. It's so specific, right? 30-something divorce lawyer. That sets you up in your mind for right. something. Crashes weddings. That's something else that sets you up to get laid. Okay, that's something right. else. Find love. So you know it's sweet because if it was just about crashing to find the chicks or whatever, then that would not have the sweetness that it has when they find love. It shows the nuance. So like rolling your characters into characters. Just following up on that. But, you know, the things that you always got to think of in long life, the incident, the character, your main protagonist, what's their objective and what are the stakes? Because if we don't feel that when we're reading it, if we don't see any of that, we're just going to go, okay, that doesn't sound very interesting, and you're probably not going to get it sold. And a series, you've almost got to go that logline and, and also have a feeling that it can be continued so that a series can go from there. Okay, so you said incident, character, objective, stakes. Yeah, that, if you want four easy words, yeah. Right, so that's... Does it have to be again. in that order? <laughs> what are the rules? We want to know. I, I, I don't think it has to be in that order. I no. think you throw it around, yeah. Hmm. You know. And around 25 words. It's just that it, it starts becoming a synopsis. I've seen a lot of people sending log lines, and it's like paragraphs long, and it has all this right. information about the, the secondary character, and, and it has the stuff about the, the things that happened during the story, and... And I think all that stuff is what you want to add in the synopsis. Get them with the log line. It's all about getting through the door and then keep pushing it through the door and then get them through the log line and go, okay, I want to know more. All right, now here's the synopsis. I want to know more. All right, let me read the script. Or if it's not a script yet, let me read a treatment. In Hollywood, a log line is like one of those old fashioned calling cards, right? That they would rifle through the calling cards and see where they wanted to go that night, which party was the most provocative. So theory. It's funny because Keith and I have known each other for a long time. And a lot of times I'll go, hey, this one, what do you think? And I'll pass it on to him. Or certainly he's passed on some scripts to me to read as well. And we'll give each other feedback on that stuff. And I think that happens a lot with projects. Even if I say no, it doesn't mean that somebody else is not going to like you. And I think that there may have some good suggestions and they may say, you know what, my friend Keith might like this more up his alley or or vice versa or other people that we know. So don't get discouraged if somebody doesn't like it. So you yeah. have to understand how many pitches we have to go through and log lines and it's a numbers game. So you can't give up. You cannot give up. And that's a good point, which is partly why you start with the log line, because if you like it at the beginning, then you want to move forward. But if you don't like it at the very beginning, I mean, it can't go beyond that. A lot of these actually are naming characters. I grabbed it so fast, I don't remember who wrote it, so I apologize. But let me read it to you all. Evie Telfair is on a mission to restore her mom's memory, because she's the one who erased it in the first place. I think following up on Keith's thing, 
give an adjective for that instead of that name. Instead of who's that person? I don't know. Let's have a description of her like they had an old seafarer, a marine biologist. They don't name their names in that log line for Jaws. All right, just I just grabbed one here that I'm going to read. 338 BC, the barbarian king Philip of Macedon has his eye on conquering all of Greece as war looms. Dion and his beloved Nicholas prepare to fight alongside the city of Thebes' legendary sacred band against a swelling tide of foreign annihilation. For me, right away, it's okay. Now, I'm intrigued by stuff, which is probably why I caught my eye about stuff that's from that period of time. But of course, as a low-budget producer, I'd be like, oh, I can't afford that one because of the period. And Dion and his beloved Nicholas where it was saying that, I don't know who those people are. So those would be better served as adjectives. But it did tell me a place, Macedon. I'm not quite sure who the protagonist is. The barbarian King Philip of Macedon has his eyes on conquering all of Greece. Is he the antagonist or the protagonist of the story? So that's just one I grabbed. Somebody else grab one. I'm trying. Every time I grab it, <laughs> so it away. It away. I actually it have one. I have one. I have one while we wait, while Go everyone looks. I think this one is close. A drowning incident revealed the secrets of a perfectly happy community of raft guides in the Great Smoky Mountains, where everybody was a suspect. I like that. It's intriguing. I like the uh, fact that, that we know what happened. It's a drowning, right? Yeah, there's a little room to butter it up even more with a little bit more adverbs and, and adjectives, I think. But I think the thing is now maybe add a little more to it intrigue us. After the drowning of the local it girl, something like that. If it's local it girl and then all the raft guys are suspects, like that's interesting. Like leaning a little bit more to the stakes of what they lost and then who the the suspects were. And that one worked well for me. So that's part of the idea with this whole film TV Academy, correct, Julie and Jessica, is that the idea is that we'll, we've got some producers pulled in that, that people can submit their log lines and synopsises and get some feedback from different producers. And hopefully they won't scroll by so quickly on that end. <laughs> yeah, I think there's plenty to work with here. I, I grabbed another one. Systematic oh, racial violence in the 60s prompts young WOC to become a masked vigilante. Yeah, that's cool. It's fictional because that didn't actually happen. It could be in a graphic novel way. There's possibilities for that at all. Again, I think they could add a little bit more to that one. It's funny. I'm usually the opposite. I'm usually like, cut. But this case, it's like, add. <laughs> The one thing is, is that you're just giving the concept of the story with these log lines. You're not trying to lay out everything. And I think that sometimes people do feel like they have to tell a lot of stuff that's not needed. But I'm hearing a couple of good log lines. And the stuff, too, that you read, Julie, both had real potential. Now, I've got one here. Ready? When jealous mm -hmm. twin siblings take sabotaging their big sister's quinceanera a bit too far, they decide to make the day extra special instead, but struggle with creating a plan that doesn't lead to disaster. And, mm -hmm. All right. So I have to say that one, there's elements of that, but there's too many parts where it's, oh, what exactly is this? Is it is it dramatic? Is it a comedy? I think you sometimes have to have a sense of the genre in there as well. It's easy to do with sci-fi. I'm not sure if this is dramatic or not. And I think that's important. 
I like the fact that they gave us the adjective to jealous twin siblings could be dangerous instead, but struggle with creating a plan that doesn't lead to disaster. I've got one I really like. Yeah. Oh, yay. Okay. Never have I ever meets Beetlejuice. Two teen academic rivals die at their graduation party and are forced to haunt the same house together forever, all while working to prevent their murderer from striking again. I pulled that one, too. I love that one. And I love yeah. Never Have I Ever. Yeah, so why you know, did, totally why did you both that. pull that one? That's interesting. It's so That's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The tension between those two characters as they are academic rivals. Throw in a ghost and that is like my ideal mm. everything. And Beetlejuice is such a classic and it's so campy. It's such a funny cross section between the two. I wonder, I don't know if you, the graduation party is fun though, because it's, it's a cusp of your life and then it's not. In an 80s movie. Yeah. Yeah. And if it plays a big part into the story, then it should be in yeah. there, I think, because yeah. that's yeah. the setting. Again, back to that idea of the setting. So here's something I'll, I'm going to turn this around and maybe some of the group can help me on this. So I've been fascinated about fanatics loving the squid game on Netflix, the series, which is, which I watch it and I go, I, I don't get it. It's dubbed and the acting's bad. And what's the scoop? And what I want to know is what was the log line for the squid game? I don't know it offhand. I'd love to see if anybody could give me what their concept would be. It's so popular. So not my kind of thing. Keep the yeah, well, okay, I found one. Let me say it before it scrolls away. Young genius who has developed a virtual reality game where a person could physically enter, becoming part of the story, must save his own life by entering himself after he discovers people being adopted and sent away before the system's stable. No one has ever gotten out. Ooh. And I like that because it's virtual reality, which is what I love that kind of stuff. Now, it's, it reminds me a little, remember the movie Tron? Yes. Yeah, it has a little bit of Tron quality, but then it sounds like, what was the last part was that the uh, he's got to get out of there or else he's stuck in there forever? Yeah, no one else, ever, no one gets out. No one ever gets out. Oh, so it's a, it's a quest show as well. He developed it. Oh, mm-hmm. that's yeah. Now we're moving into Squid Game territory. We have some Squid Game here. We have Battle right. Royale meets Parasite, which is a great kind of like cross section. Wow. But um, see, that's not log lines, but that's more that's that's can be part but, of your pitch. But, but it's, it, it's, it's so delightful though. Yeah, <laughs> people in distress play kids' games for their lives. Yeah, but see, we don't know who the protagonist is. One negative there is we got to know there are some people that are fighting. Just the one Keith liked, where fighting to get out. You know. So we have a down and out gambler is given a once in a lifetime chance to be the last to survive the game of death. Mm. Yeah, I kind of like that one better. Or you could say game, but you could add the kids game in that portion and that second log line. And so mm. You see, see how it is. It's like different reactions that we each have to those, which are going to be different producers. That's why it's good to have a section. It's also really good not to write something without some sense of where you want these elements to be. So I always think write log lines first and then go, okay, that's the story I want to tell because it will help you in your storytelling. Hundreds of cash-strapped players accept a strange invitation to compete in children's games inside a tempting prize that waits with deadly high stakes, a survival game that has a whopping 45.6 billion one prizes. Is that the original log line? That's from IMDB. Sounds like it. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah I was going to yeah. say that. Yeah. And I wouldn't think in the original pitch you would need to say how much exactly, but I get it. That. In fact, that makes me want to watch it. Yeah. Okay, so let's do some questions. Okay, what is the main reason you pass on a project? I'll give that to Keith. He always passes on my (laughs) projects. I'm usually pretty open 
and I, I usually give it a chance. So first of all, if it's a tough read, sometimes uh, if it's confusing, sometimes people try to use vocabulary that's not necessary. It's not well written. Structurally, if it's not sound, please have it. If I have to make corrections, that bothers me. Those are my pet peeves. I once read that uh, a producer, if you misuse the term your, Y-O-U-R, in the first few pages, he would never read anymore. That would be his sort of, if they can't get that, I'm not going to read anymore. And I was like, wow, that that's harsh, man. I think that's important. And the other thing is the first 10 pages of any script, if you're not grabbing me in the first 10 pages, it's that's the way, that's the movie at the beginning. People are going to need to be grabbed in that first 10 minutes of the film or else they're going to switch, in this day and age, switch the channel. So those 10 pages are really important because then I'm going to want to read more. If I don't want to read more, now it's work then that's not going to help sell your script. That That is actually the most important thing. If you're working on a series or a trilogy, is it better to mention it or leave it out of your pitch? Oh, mention it to me. You mention it. Yeah, I think in the state of series with streaming and everything, I think you definitely could mention it because there's the idea that it could go further and become something. But you better have an idea of what those three pieces are going to be. Don't say it's going to be a trilogy. And then when I ask what's going to happen in the third part, and you go, I haven't gotten there yet. You know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm George Martin. I got games of Thrones, but I don't know how it's going to end. Okay. Somebody will end it for you then, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have the publishing thing of you like to hear standalone? We usually say novel, I guess it'd be standalone project with series potential. Is that like a, a common thing you use on the Hollywood side? So if a book has the potential, like I mentioned earlier, the young lady has the romance novel and she has five books. So that's what piqued my attention. I'm like, oh, okay, let's, let's look at this. Yeah, I think one-offs are harder and harder now. There's less markets for the one-offs. And Keith and I both started in the days when indie films were making DVDs and we've got a lot of work that way. And th those days are gone. Independent films like that are harder and harder to get. They're either way low budget or they're going straight to TV. With a series, you can attract the idea that it could have potential for a longer life and everybody can see some b business. If it's going to be a one-off, it better have an actor attached. I just think mm -hmm. that you've got to have some actor who wants to play a role. I know that takes you away from the writing, but get an actor excited by your script or your or the book. They love reading the book. and They say, I want to play this character. One writer says, I would love to hear your thoughts on pitching multiple points of view. Stick to the storyline or better to be broad or specific. If you try to give every point of view, you can run on. Next thing you know, you have a, a synopsis. Yeah. So I would try so to stick to one in the pitch. As you can. If those are going to be different characters, I don't know if that's going to work in a two-hour movie. It's going, it may work in a series because then we have time that we can spend with each of those characters. But I still feel like you got to push the protagonist. You know? Someone just wrote, think Joy Luck Club. Hmm. Yes, hmm. which is true. But I, I'm sure their pitch was not about all the characters. Yeah, and the Joy Luck Club is still from the daughter's perspective. She's talking, she's right. dealing with all these people. She's the main character. She's just dealing, you know, with all these different people that are tied to it. So there's still one protagonist. It's just the other yeah. characters are great stories, but they're, they're, they become part of, of the effect they have on her. We can do a couple more here. I've heard a successful pitch must contain irony. True? Are there any must-have qualities you consider essential for a strong pitch? I like irony. 
I don't think it has to. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, like we keep saying, to me, you just gotta catch our attention. If it's something that's important to you, you, you come up with something creative and give me a twist on something, that'll catch my attention. Yeah, I mean that's where I think they're meaning by irony. If you tweak it where the verbiage is where it can be a little ironic and a little fun to read and all those kind of things, and that's good. But I don't think it's a it's not a rule. This question just makes me laugh. What should you expect if our book gets optioned? Do we quit our jobs and move to Hollywood? <laughs> not for the option. What an option is. I imagine there are people here who don't know what an option is. Sure. An option is basically where somebody says on paper, I'm interested in this material and I want to try to run with this, meaning I'm going to try to get this made into a film. So they usually give, sometimes it's really very little money and you're hopefully not giving up your property for too long if it's too little money and they run with it. But the idea is that nobody else can go with it because the thing is that producers don't want to be working on trying to get a project off the ground and and then all of a sudden somebody else takes it. So they're going to give you an option so that they basically have control of the project for a short period of time. But from a writer's perspective, you don't want to give that option unless you really believe that person's going to be able to do something with it. Anything you want to add that on that end? And no, you, you've you had said some... it. The, the least amount of money, the, the make it a shorter option. The more money yeah. they offer you, longer option. Yeah. I've had projects that have been optioned, as Keith said, and then they re-option it and stuff. And, and at one point, it's okay. Your guys, it's not happening. And even though that means now I have to go back to pitching the project, it's better than just having it sit on someone else's desk versus my own. I'd rather get it back. Yeah. I have friends that have sold movies in Hollywood, but those movies are never made. So that you can even get that far <laughs> down the road and it's sold. They made a lot of money and it still wasn't made. It's it's like anything, right? So opportunities, you're like riding on a wave and you just never know. And you never know what's going to be a sleeper and go out to do really well. And you never know what they think is going to be huge is going to flop. So it's like the most amazing ride and the most amazing opportunity, but it's just a different world. You can have something that may go in season, then out of season, then come back five, maybe five, six years later. And all yeah. of a sudden you're probably hot again. Yeah. So you just never know. Yeah, I think you got to keep you got to keep trying and and working at projects that that excite you. That's why people are always like, "Oh, I'm going to write this because it's going to be a huge hit because this is what's popular right now." And the thing is, yeah, that's popular right now. By the time you finish writing that project, it may not be popular anymore. So do stuff that you want to tell as stories because then the time may come and it may not be right when you're finished. And it might be that you want to go back and re rewrite. And I can't tell you how many times I say this. Don't send me your first draft of your script because I'm not going to read it after that. Send me after you read it and you passed it around to other people to read that are friends and something and got their feedback. Don't. I, I'd rather read it after you feel like, okay, man, now it's really there. I, I have a script that we've been working with. And the writer, and he's not exaggerating, he gave it to over 100 friends before he gave it to us. Wow. And I bet you're glad about that, right, Keith? Yes. Yes, because now we have very few notes. We have very few notes and we're working through the script. Yeah. And we're getting close to, to making a deal. So. And I think you, when you talk about log lines or synopsis or even writing a book, I think that makes sense is get it to people that, that are not in the business first so you can make those mistakes with people 
and listen to them. Listen, don't end your friendship because your person doesn't like your script. They <laughs> listen to it. You want that honesty, please. You, you, want, you should welcome it. You send it to someone like us, I'll be nice about it, but uh, I probably won't give be as direct. And your mm-hmm. family and friends should be direct and tell you you should go do something different with this. Mm-hmm. You could also give them multiple versions and ask them to pick their favorite. Sometimes people are better at saying, I like that one versus no, that's bad. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I said this before, but there's times when I would like something and I'd say, Keith, what do you think? And there were scripts that he liked that he passed over to me. And just to get another sense of if, yeah. if we liked it. And I, I think that that happens across the board is that you're wanting to, even if you like it a lot, you want to get some feedback from somebody else in the business even because movies cost money and and it takes a lot of time to get a project going but don't believe the idea that just happens like that it takes years and years sometimes and if you're going to invest that time you want to make sure it's worth the work carolyn says lucky to have 100 friends yes that would be lucky however all of you here could have a few thousand friends if you join our facebook group and you could talk to each other about your pitches and give each other feedback if you are here you have way more than 100 friends we are here to support you Yeah. And and you want like-minded people, like your friends and family, they're great, but they're not people sometimes that are actively trying to push forward a writing career, which is difficult anyways. And so being with groups of people that are doing the same thing and have the same mindset can really give you the best feedback before you hit that next level with pitching. My mom thinks everything I do is fantastic. Well, yeah, everything's fantastic, (laughs) right? So what I'd like to do is actually take some pitches and talk about what we like and don't like about them and give really constructive feedback. So let's look at this yeah. one and try to break it down so that we can actually just give her some realistic advice to leave with. So I'm going to read it to everyone. To cure her loneliness, psychic diva Wakefield rushes to conceive an heir with her bohemian fiance until she meets a seasoned veterinarian who accepts her psychic ways and helps her solve the riddles of the historic Charleston Pink House, which houses her ghostly family and her past. Well, she doesn't need the name right off the bat. Diva Wakefield, just her loneliness rushes. Go ahead. I'm kind of obsessed by the bottom part of it, the riddles of the historic Charleston Pink House, which houses her ghostly family and her past. So if this is a real place, which it might be, that you, by saying historic Charleston Pink House, then I would have that in there because that's a real location. Otherwise, I wouldn't put it in there if it's not a real location. Keith, you got any thoughts? I'm just wondering what's the Bohemian fiance got to do with any of this? It's just, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. So we know she's got a Bohemian fiance, but that kind of becomes a supporting character that could be listed in the synopsis, right? Yes. Because he, unless. I would just, I would leave that part out. Yeah. She rushes even air. And is the antagonist the ghostly family or the seasoned veterinarian? Yes, exactly. Uh, I'm, I'm a little confused there. It sounds like there's potential there, but again, it's also what's, what's is it is Adam's family in a comedy way or is it a, a horror movie? You want to give a sense of that just in the style of writing. I wonder if there's some stakes around rushing to conceive an heir. That is implying that if she doesn't conceive an heir, that something's going to happen. So I wonder if instead of saying her name, you could say something like a lonely psych faced with X, Y, and Z rushes to conceive an heir. So blank doesn't happen. Like, I wonder if there's something missing here, even though I do love the historic 
pink house. Well, I, here's the thing I'm feeling is that, that all of us are wondering about things from this, and therefore it's not a successful logline because we shouldn't be wondering so many things. Because the Bohemian fiancé and the seasoned veterinarian, is there something between the two? Does she have to choose between the two? Mm. Or is one interfering the other? That's what I'm trying to understand. There's a lot of cool things happening here. I would, Definitely one that I'd work out so it would be a lot clearer of what actually is in the script. I hope this helps. So we're really having questions about that main antagonist, that main problem. And if you fold some of this into each other and clarify the tension... I think a lot of us would be closer to really enjoying this. The idea is great. The idea is great. Idea, yeah. I, I agree with you. The whole thing about the Charleston pink house. Yeah. House Give me that all day long. With, yeah. What's with that? Yeah. yeah I, <laughs> I feel like that's Anne Rice vibe to me, which I think is so fun. A nurse's life spirals out of control as her young marriage to a doctor ends after she's diagnosed with rare stage four cancer. She turns to Tinder to quench her thirst, but is left unsatisfied. Falling for her own surgeon, she gets more than she bargained for. Oh. So her marriage is unsatisfactory. Yeah. Do we need to know exactly all those details? We could just say recently divorced nurse spirals out of it. She may not be divorced here. It may be just spiraling out of control because he discovered she's got cancer with a heartless mm. doctor. But What's her thirst? It's the thirst for attention. Romance. Right? Or love, <laughs> romance, love, romance, yeah. I was like, well. I like part elements of this. What I'm hearing from this is that she's experimenting with different love possibilities, but then she falls for her own surgeon. She gets more than she bargained for. That sounds like that's the exciting part of this story. That sounds like that's the heart of this story. So the other stuff is just a long adjective of what leads up to that. And so I feel like I want to know more about what happens between the two of them. I just hope romantic and not violent. That's because no. you're nicer than we well, are, I guess Jessica. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, <laughs> if, she, if you're looking for love, and you find love, then that's not more than you bargained for. That's a good thing. Um, well, she was bargaining for treatment, hopefully life saving, and she ended up with a love story. I don't know. But she has an unquestionable thirst for Tinder. I don't think we'd mention Tinder if she was going to die. I don't think it's a thriller if we mentioned. I don't that's know. an interesting, that's a good promo for Tinder. We won't mention it. We won't mention Don't mention That's those true. There could be die. a Tinder thriller, but I don't think this is it. I think all we need to know is nurse gets cancer, falls in love with surgeon. Yeah. If that's true. But there's got to be more of a goal there. It feels like right now her goal is to find love. But what you said, she gets more than she bargained for. So what is that? So that's, that's what makes me intriguing. It's, it's intriguing. But if you're going to leave it there, my mind can take it so many different directions. Agreed. It's interesting though. So when we're having conversations and we can't really figure out what the story is, that means that you, there needs to be refinement. This would Do be we, one of those scenarios that if I got the log yeah. line and go, it's not quite right for me, but I would send that to my friend Jessica because it seems like right up her alley. <laughs> I appreciate everybody being willing to put these up in front of us to talk about. And we're, yeah. we're ho hopefully these are only good suggestions and helpful I don't want to make anybody get really sad. Not at all. And it's a process, right? It's a process of, of curing the language until we can digest it. And if we can't digest it, there needs to have more curing or rendering. It's totally a process. I to agree. Yeah. Noah, a substitute teacher, knows from personal experience that ghosts exist. 
Now he has the opportunity to prove it to the world. Problem, he's saddled with summer school students. Solution, class field trip. What could go wrong? All right, so sounds like a horror movie in the works, or funny <laughs> for the funny scenario of a Ghostbusters kind of thing. But we don't need the name Noah. That's the first off. Couldn't you say a substitute? I think you need a grade there because I want to know how old the kids mm, true. are. True. So if you had a, a high school, a high school substitute teacher, yeah, because there's a real difference as high school versus elementary. So yeah, I agree. What do you guys think about the problem yeah. and then the solution? Can we just pluck that out and then stylize yes. that through there? Yes. You shouldn't really do that. It should come in the writing that it's indicating what the problem and the solution is, what the goal is. Actually, that's a good point. If you take those out, it it still reads pretty smoothly. Yeah. He's saddled with summer school students. That right there is a problem if you've given us a couple more adjectives. And the solution, I don't know if that's really a solution, the class field trip, but oh, maybe it's that's to to find ghosts. It's more like his solution. His solution is a class field trip. Yeah. And I don't, what could go wrong? Why don't you give us, I think it should be more of a sense of what's potentially going to go wrong versus just asking us, the reader, to guess what's going to go wrong. He knows from personal experience that ghosts exist. So that's an interesting thing just because that's what I find most intriguing about the character is that that they have had some personal experience that ghosts exist. And he wants to prove it. This is his opportunity. And he's going to take the students. Yes. We could just change it. Let's say you didn't believe in ghosts, but an archaeologist finds the dinosaur bones and pr- brings his students to to excavate. It could be that same idea. And in this case, it's a ghost, right? It sounds like fun. It could be a really fun yeah. piece. But I, th- I like it. I would just smoothen it out mm-hmm. a little bit and, yeah. and take your suggestion. Yeah. There's so much promise in all of these I love mm-hmm. this. The idea of going to get the ghosts and the kids are like, ah, you know, don't do it. You know, like <laughs> I can almost see the script and like it appeals to the demented part of my brain. Adding that instead of saying what could go wrong, if the writer gives some sense of who the antagonist is, because that's obviously what's going to go wrong is whatever evil or whatever's out there. And let's right. give a sense of that and saying mm-hmm. instead of just making it ambiguous. Yeah. I hope the writers out there are just kind of like, taking notes, just smoothing it out. There was a certain exercise I loved so much last time Eric was here, and that was to have everyone write log lines for a movie we all know. Would either of you, Keith, you're a special guest. Would you like to mention a well-known movie that everyone could try to write a log line for and we could compare? Then it's apples to apples. Uh, That'd be fun. Make it tough, Keith. Okay. Star Trek. Hmm. So basically, the, the, all right, the basic theme of Star Trek, then, is, is probably a good place to start. Um, okay. I think we, we need another one. People, we might or, need one that, like, everyone's seen. <laughs> a movie that okay. everyone's seen. Everyone has seen. Okay, let's go a little bit further back. E.T. E.T. Ah, there we go. Oh my gosh. Don't exist. I, I go back to the Star Trek one. A captain of the starship explores the galaxy and kisses lots of alien ladies. <laughs> and, a daring captain is a spaceship deliberately into the unknown. Just and so everyone cool. wearing red dies. Lovable alien builds for a cell phone. <laughs> this is cute. That's true. He did. A young boy befriends an alien and must help him home before the adults discover him. I think that's pretty close to what they really was the log line. Hmm. Aliens like humans can be bribed with chocolate. I taught this log line on Monday, and these are close. 
Do you have the actual one? I was just searching for it. Now. Well, I yeah, I do. I do somewhere, like in, in my teaching space. Uh, this one sounds <laughs> like it might be it. A young boy befriends an alien and must help him home before the adults discover it. That, that yeah, that's like pretty much it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and you can yeah. and that that's you can conflict. see the elements there. We've got the kid. He's the protagonist. The alien is. We're not sure if that's an, an antagonist. Could it be a bad guy or not? Which is what the film at the first half. We're not sure if it's a bad alien or not with et so that log line is really good for for et that that final one so why don't we do a couple more questions so this is a question i think for jessica and the experts and not me should we treat our movie pitch the same as we would live pitch for the book should we treat our movie pitch the same as we would live pitch for the book i only know the book part i must confess well film i don't know the book part so well so fill us on the the book part. Then, yes, so, okay, so let's say you're at one of these in-person conferences with a pitch session versus a critique session, and you're just there to say, I've got this book, it's about this. It helps if you say it's X meets Y, or if you have a log line, and then mm-hmm. I get the idea for it. But honestly, if I'm sitting down with you in person, I want to experience you as a whole person. Don't just read something to me. Tell me a story. Give me a sense of who you are, because you as a whole person matters to me. Then again, I'm not sure if that was answering the question exactly. Oh, that's interesting. No, I don't think who you are as a person matters as much unless you want to be the director or something for movies. I think it's more about what the material is. If you correct me if you think I'm wrong, Keith, but I think that's one big difference with the book pitch versus a movie pitch. The other thing is this whole idea of an elevator pitch is not real. You don't pitch in the elevator. You sit down and have a set meeting and that's usually has been set up by somebody, either an agent manager or lawyer, but maybe sometimes somebody says, hey, you got to meet with this person, which you're really lucky to go with. And when you're sitting there, my thing is you should have your log line pitch but also have another one for another project just in case, because you may not get another meeting. They will always say, what else do you have? Mm. What else do you have? have? Yeah. Yeah. So have some so more. Should they build also, a flow chart? Like if they say this, I say this. I, I, I would try to keep it informed. Don't make it too organized. I, I wouldn't have notes <laughs> flipping through. Just be, first of all, try to stay relaxed, be yourself. You should already know what your story is. You know what your story is. You know what your log line is. So if I ask you a question, okay, so you give me a log line pitch, I like it. So then I'm going to start asking you about the story. Let's get into it. What happens in Act 1? And if you keep my interest, we'll keep going and keep going. And if I want to read it or if I want to read the treatment, I will ask for it. So that's what I was going to say. Like after working with all of your writers and teaching screenwriting and doing book to film myself, and I think that. When you're in these situations as a writer, you're nervous. Obviously, it's nerve-wracking, and you're trying to say your story in the most efficient way. And I sometimes think of a log line, which is a little shorter and a little cleaner sometimes, is the easiest place to start. What is it about? What's about this? Okay, tell me more. Okay, and then you give the book pitch, which has a little bit more detail to it, a little bit more nuance. Like, having both in your back pocket, what else do you have? Here it is. It's easier to do something that is once again rendered than it is to try to like totally nail something that that might be a little bit longer. So I just think it's just beneficial either way. You never know when you're going to use any of these things. You never know where you're going to be at a cocktail party or pitching your stuff. If you have a good log line, memorize it. Once you say, this is good, this is the one I want to use, memorize that. And then what Keith said, you are in a great position if they say, 
tell me more. That means your log line's working because they want to know more. And now you get into that synopsis mode and hopefully you have that fairly well memorized too. And then the key is just to build up the excitement and it starts with that log line. How do you feel about comparative titles? So someone says, are the pitch wars comparisons? So that's a, an online Twitter pitch contest for writers. Really useful, like secession meets the night circus. Where do the comparisons fit in? I don't think it should be in the log line because, again, we're keeping it short and we want to give the sense. But probably after you've pitched your log line, they're going to ask, what's this? And then you should have that as a backup of it. So a mixture of this and that and always use successful movies. We are taught use something within the last five years. Successful, but not a runaway bestseller. Is that kind of similar in the film world? Recent, not top of the chain, but in the middle? Well, if, what do you if, think? It, if it's a fair comparison... I would use it. If it's yeah. a fair comparison story, I would use it. Yeah. If the movie is successful and your movie has similar qualities, as long as it's not a direct ripoff of the show, then yeah, there's no reason not to use that successful project. Probably a five-year ideas or 10-year. There are some films that are classics, but I think a lot of those films, you would want to keep it more current. Right. I like how it's similar, but different. Exactly. There are writers that can write both books and screenplays, but there are writers who are incredible writers who can't write screenplays and vice versa. So I think that you've also got to be open to the fact that somebody will want to bring in a collaboration if they're feeling you're not a screenwriter. Hopefully you'll be open to that. You can actually pitch that you'd like to try at least a draft of the script. With TV, you're not going to get that. They're going to put you with a showrunner, which is a writer who's written television before. No matter how fantastic your story is, I've had this happen with with writers that I've worked with where they're not going to be the head writer. They're going to want somebody who they know can deliver scripts one after the other. Your experience is it too on that, I think, right? The yeah. one who's been there. That's correct, yeah. Yeah. So it's just something to be realized you can be in the room, but if it's your project and stuff, you can definitely be one of the writers. But be realized that it means moving to wherever they're going to film that show. That's where you are going to have to move to Hollywood if that's where they're filming. They want to have everybody throwing ideas together in a series. Now, when you write a screenplay, you can be a little more flexible of where you live. I mean, that sounds fun, a bunch of writers in a room. Wait till you just do it a few times, Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> Invite me next time. Yeah. I will bring snacks. <laughs> there's always one that doesn't agree with your great idea oh my gosh it's like a jury <laughs> so i i'm hoping what you guys are all going to learn that there's so much to learn from one world to the other and they just really reflect each other and when you are voiced in one or both it just expands so much of your ideas around work and everything else thank you for starting this experiment with us so yeah basically we're following the lead of what Manuscript Academy has been doing a long time with these log lines and pitches and synopsises to literary agents and people helping the publishing. And, and I've brought together Keith as one, myself, and then six or seven other producers of various types of television and film. Some are doing TV more than film. Some are doing nonfiction more than fiction. Look at those and choose somebody that you feel is right for your project. I think that's where you're going to get your most benefit. All of them are very nice folks, but I think that really will be helpful for you is saying, okay, I read that bio and that's the person that feels like they would be most interested in my piece. Thank you, Keith, for coming tonight as our first ever yes. film I know. Emmy nominated. So 
Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> you all are so amazing. I can't believe I get to be in the same room. Yeah, room. And thank sure you, everyone, um, for your questions, all your comments. That was excellent. That was fun. Thank you so much. Have a great night, everybody. I appreciate knowing you. And yeah. Keith and Eric, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, and I'll just say thank you again. We'll take it one step at a time. We appreciate you. Right. Good night, everyone. Thank we bye. appreciate you so much. Thank you. We are so glad that you joined us. And as always, we appreciate your feedback. Just head on over to the iTunes store and let us know what you think. It not only helps us make this podcast be the best it can be, but it also affects our ratings within the iTunes platform. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling brave and want to submit your page for our first pages podcast, you can send it to academy at manuscriptwishlist.com with first pages podcast in the subject line. We'd also just love to hear from you. And if you'd like to learn more about the Manuscript Academy and everything we have to offer, just jump on over to manuscriptacademy.com.